All right, social media family. Thank you for joining us once again for another installment of the Lessons from David series. Now, I misspoke when I was talking to Michelle first. I thought we were on lesson three, but we are on only on lesson 1.2. It's a second lesson. And it's really 1.2. All right. So the subtitle is the same. Accepting responsibility. Accepting responsibility. Now, in summary, we were talking about Saul versus David and doing a compare and contrast between the two. Now, just for, for recap, what do, you, what do you remember is the biggest difference between David and his life ministry versus Saul? Different time we kind of talked about is David had like the root, the relationship with God, the humbleness there, the truth, you know, humility, some of those aspects compared to Saul. Okay. Well, so David, would David own up to his mistakes? Yes. He didn't, he didn't make excuses for it. Mm -hmm. So David yep. was like, he messed up. He was like, okay, was I messed up. It's my fault. I took what it takes from for my actions. Versus Saul was like, he never really, you know, owned people up to it. Yeah, blame somebody else. Yeah, that's big. Because I know we were looking at how God responded to Saul through the prophet Samuel. And then, you know, you and you know, we we look at how Saul's image, his caricature is looked at so negatively, but stepping back and looking at ourselves, like, you know, how many times do we fail and don't take responsibility for? Right. Now, again, there are, there are circumstances where you know, other people do get in our way and they, they block us and, and, and their actions are the reason for some of the hardship in our lives. It's true. But also, we are, there are times we do stuff ourselves. We trip our own selves up. And we talk about how David is a man after God's own heart. You look at that and it's like, what? If you look at David's life, he did some stuff. He did some stuff. But in spite of his sin, his mistake, he's referred to throughout the scripture as a man after God's own heart. So what makes David's sin and Saul's sin, the difference between the two how David can still be esteemed as a man after God's own heart versus Saul, who fell. Y'all already said it. He owned up to his sin. He owned up to his mistakes. And when he made mistakes, he sinned. He didn't run away from God. He ran to him. That's that's the big that's the big takeaway, because as long as we in this, this flesh, this physical body, 
we're going we gonna to screw some stuff up. We're going to mess up. I believe he really, if I may note, he knew who God was the best he could in the human body. I mean, you know, I mean, and humanity, and the, Old well, the Old Testament on top of that. Just, you know, I know we probably mentioned this last week or so, but all that time, I know, like, you know, shepherding and spending that time out there, just the shepherd's heart. I think we had mentioned that, too. He, Somebody had said that here. I know last week we were talking about, like, he had the shepherd's heart, the tenderness, the the, the root, you know, and then the, the Psalms he wrote just reading that he he depended on God even when he did dumb stuff he like we said the, the, the fruit of it was he he owned up to his mistakes and leave the man after God's own part I should say well you just mentioned uh, but he David had a revelation of God's character he did yeah you know even like I said we have more of it we got the Holy yeah. Spirit but he had a revelation of God's character because yeah. you know when and when he messed up like I said he ran to God as he said and of course, some of us, if you if you grew up in a church where God is considered, you know, mean, angry, punishing, yes, you know, punishing. all those things condemning, um, then you're not gonna run to him. You're gonna run away from him. Yeah. And so if that that's my idea of who God is, then I'm not gonna run to him because I'm afraid of him. I'm like, okay, he's gonna run, he's gonna get me, he's gonna condemn me. Yeah. He's going to talk negative to me, so therefore I'm not going to run to him. Yeah. But David understood, you know, he said, a loving God, a merciful God, and God, this is <coughs> compassion. And so even when he messed up, you know, that's why he ran to him. So it's like, okay, I understand his character. I know who he is. And so I know he's not going to beat me up. Or, yeah. But I can run to him because I understand his character. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's wonderful, yeah. That's good. Yeah, that's real good. Hold on, hold on, hold on. The religious skeptic has something to say. He just texted me. He said, he said, your, your, your man, Eric, messed up again. Don't you know that you're supposed to fear the Lord? That's what's wrong with the church now. There is no fear of the Lord. Yeah, but that word fear means respect or honor. Doesn't mean tremble like oh. Yeah, it's being afraid. Yeah, so it means it's when you um, talking about fear, God. It's talking about respect. You show a level of respect or honor Him for who He is. Okay? Um, respect Him just like you do. You would do a judge or somebody that you in position. Mm -hmm. You respect their position because you understand who they are. You know, so, but that's where that comes from. People think fear means he's supposed to be afraid or just run away. Now, even though understanding that person has that kind of power, mm -hmm. and we know God got that power, you know, of course he can destroy stuff, but that's not his character, that's not his nature. Yeah. And even though we see that in the Old Testament, because he did that because of the covenant they was under, but from the beginning, it's not who he was. We see from the beginning, uh, for example, when uh, Cain messed up, killed Abel. Yeah. I mean, God didn't take him out. You know, and that was from the beginning. So he just, like, okay, punishment, but he didn't, you know, like, oh, I'm going to take you out, I'm going to kill you. No. 
Uh, yeah, there, there are no more bubbles. He, he just had a sad face and an angry face emoji. <laughs> right. But, but you know, the thing about it is, it's just like you said, you know, when we talk about the fear of the Lord, it's reverence. That's what's being, that's what's being talked about. When we talk about the fear of the Lord, it's this reverence and worship, right? Because even there's a Old Testament scripture that Jesus quotes himself where there's taught where the word fear is used in the Old Testament and the word worship is used okay. in the Gospels. So the two being synonymous, fear as in honor, reverence, worship. That's what we are admonished to do, to worship, to reverence him, to recognize who we're dealing with. But who we're dealing with is a loving God that gave his best for you. Understanding the character, the power, the love, he's all that. And that's your father. That's your heavenly father. And that's why David, just like you said, that's why David could do what he did. He could feel safe to repent, feel safe to come like, Lord, forgive me. I, I, I messed it. I messed up. Because there, there's, there's room for relationship there. Because if I'm yeah, because just like because you if if I'm scared of you, if I'm afraid, I'm gonna do my best to cover up everything yeah. I can. Because I'm like, man, I ain't trying to get caught out here. It ain't my fault. That's it. Julie did that. No, Mary messed that up. I ain't do that. That ain't got nothing to do with me. All right? Yeah. Go ahead. Oh, it's cool. I was just saying when you were saying trust and fear, I thought about something Andrew Womack had said in one of his, um, I think his teaching, The Fear of the Lord. I'm pretty sure. I've listened to a few of them, but he had used the verse, and I looked up, I don't remember the exact verse, but it's Psalm 115, 11, where it says, you who fear the Lord, trust in the Lord. And if you go throughout the word and you, you could interchange that, you know, fear and trust. And when, you know, Julie, you were saying that, when you think of that, like, oh, wow, you know, like we said, it's trust. He was able to fear God on David because he trusted in God. Yeah, you know, because interchangeable. That's good. That's good. That's true. Isn't that Because awesome? when you think about how, like, he trusted, you know, like when he was going up, going up against Goliath, you know, he obviously had a trust in God that he was going to come through for him. Of course. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, my so gosh. I just compliment here. Yep. Mm -hmm. Just imagine that now. Goliath. Now, David, let's say you fight 5 8, 5 10. All right. And Goliath is like 11 foot 5. You're going there. 800 pounds. <laughs> like, yo, you got to know something. If you're going to buck against, some, against, against somebody like that, you got to know something. You got to know something. But he knew who, who he served. He knew who his God, who his God was. So that's why there was no fear. Awesome. But I think what in the aspect of fear is always being scared of God because, you know, we hear, you know, hell preach and stuff like that. And that's, and that's, that's a part of the word of God. You know, if you, if you reject Christ, okay, you're going to hell. But I think that is pushed you know, to scare people to the kingdom. Scare, right. 
And you know, and does I'm like, does that work? Yeah, you can scare somebody in the kingdom, but I think Julie said, like, that's not going to be a re, um, relationship, though. Nope. Intimate relationship. I may get in the kingdom because want. somebody told me, you know, and I don't want to go to hell. And, you know, a lot of people can't come to Christ because of that. Okay. Yeah. yeah. But if it, that never grows into a relationship, you know, understand his loving character, then you won't always, as Julie said, you you going to mess up. So when you do mess up, what are you going to do? Run. You're going to run, right? Yeah. What's he going to do to me now? Right. Because I messed up. And so therefore, so you're going to run. And so you're not going to run to him. You're going to run from him. And as he said, you're going to spend time trying to cover up everything I did, trying to hide. You're not going to, you know, go in the church or in the ministry. You're going to stay away because I know. Somebody gonna know what I did, of course. And then of course, if you hear a message that you feel like, okay, the preacher know exactly what I'm doing. So you're gonna go ahead and he's Seriously. coming back. And so you have that mentality, but and like so once again, it's, that message is preached, but we need to be more, I think, understand people understand the character of God. But yeah, okay, that's a reality. If you reject Jesus, you're going to hell. But for those who do accept him. He's a loving God. He's a compassionate God. And if you mess up, he's waiting for us to come. He said, okay, yes. I messed up. He embraces us. You know, it's like a father, child fall down, fix him up, dust him off, make him feel better. Yeah. Let's move forward. Yeah, that's awesome. Good. All right. Let's go to 1 Samuel 13. 1 Samuel 13. I'm just gonna read a couple of statements from the outline. And you know how you know how um, Andrew is. He, he's pretty blunt and, and, yep. and to the point. All right, it says Saul had a million excuses! Exclamation point. All right, it says you can try to make it look good, but if you disobey God, you're foolish. Can Can you back up? Because I when I I've been reading it and um what, what was it said you haven't obeyed the command? What What was the exact Command that, um, because I wanted to find out because, um, Saul's excuse was you didn't come back when you said so. I, I wanted to get just like what were the things I'm gonna start, I'm gonna start back, I'm gonna start at verse one, and we're gonna just read, I'm gonna just read all the way down to 14. All right, in New Living Translation, Psalm, because my end point was that how did. How, what was the exact commandment? And apparently Saul didn't know it. You know, like, because it said, you got to know the commandment to follow it. So go ahead. All right. 1 Samuel 13, starting at verse 1. New Living Translation says, Saul was 30 years old when he became king. And he reigned for 42 years. 42 years. Saul selected 3,000 special troops from the army of Israel. And sent the rest of the men home. He took 2,000 of the chosen men with him to Michmash and the hill country of Bethel. The other 1,000 went with Saul's son, Jonathan, to Gib in the land of Benjamin. Soon after this, Jonathan attacked and defeated the garrison of Philistines at Gaib. The news spread quickly among the Philistines. So Saul blew the ram's horn throughout the land, saying, Hebrews, hear this, rise up in revolt, 
All of Israel had heard the news that Saul had destroyed the Philistine garrison at Gavit, and that the Philistines now hated the Israelites more than ever. So the entire Israelite army was summoned to join Saul at Gilgal. All right. The Philistines mustered a mighty army of 3,000 chariots, 6,000 charioteers, and as many warriors as the grains of sand on the seashore. They camped at Michmash, east of Beth-Avon. The men of Israel saw what a tight spot they were in because they were hard-pressed by the enemy. They tried to hide in caves, thickets, rocks, holes, and cisterns. Some of them crossed the Jordan River and escaped into the land of Gad and Gilead. Okay, now, now you see Saul's son, Jonathan, he, he, he gained a victory, all right? There was some, there was some victory, they would gain the territory, but the Philistines may, may wind of it, they heard of it, and now they're assembling their, their troops, all right? So now, as they're doing this, the situation starts to turn. It, in the natural, it looks very daunting, Okay. All right. Verse seven. Meanwhile, Saul stayed at Gilgal and his men were trembling with fear. Saul waited there seven days for Samuel, as Samuel had instructed him earlier. All right. Pay attention to that one. As Samuel had instructed him earlier, but Samuel still didn't come. Saul realized that his troops were rapidly slipping away. So he demanded. Bring me the burnt offering and the peace offerings. And Saul sacrificed the burnt offering himself. Okay, now pause. Who is authorized to make offerings? Priests. Priests only, right? Yes. But Saul is the king. He's a secular official. He's not a priest. So he's, he's disobeying here, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. All right. Verse 10, just as Saul was finishing with the burnt offering, Samuel arrived. Saul went out to meet and welcome him. But Samuel said, what is this have you, you have done? Saul replied, I saw many men scattering from me, and you didn't arrive when you said you would. And the Philistines are a mismatch, ready for battle. So I said, the Philistines are ready to march against us at Gilgal, and I haven't even asked for the Lord's help. So I felt compelled to offer the burnt offering myself before you came. Now, as we talked about last time, if you just look at this from a natural human reasoning perspective, it makes sense. Because he was late. At least, you know, based on what he thought did you know Samuel's timetable was supposed to be? He was late. Mm -hmm. I was like, well, well, Samuel, I did it myself because you was running late, bro. What's going on? But he was, but my thought was, um, why didn't Saul send somebody to go find Samuel? Because apparently he was two minutes down the road, <laughs> you know. 
So why why didn't he go? Well, I wonder where he is. You know, who did anybody say thou shalt not send someone to go find where he is? I mean, wow. you know, why couldn't he do that? Like, yeah. I wonder where he is. So let's go find him. That's a good idea. Because he apparently was like two seconds away. Like, well, yeah. if you would have gone and found out where he was, it's like, how long does it take to do a burnt offering? That's how close he was. So. My thought is when you fear comes in there, nothing good happens. <laughs> Once you let fear in there, nothing good's gonna happen. Mm. Now I want I want y'all to hear what she said. <coughs> when you let fear in, nothing good happens. Because how many mistakes have us have we made individually based on fear in a response to being afraid of something? Could we write a book? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But the scripture says God has not given us a spirit of fear, power, love, and of a sound mind. Right. Because fear as a motivator leads to destruction. And what is what is the enemy's MO? To steal, steal kill, kill, and, and destroy. destroy. Giant right. But you know what was well, interesting? Go ahead. So I'm just like going injuries first. But if he, if Saul thought that, okay, well, Samuel's not here, so I'm just going to make it all up. Like, uh-uh. You just, you don't know what to do. So just do nothing until you get some instructions, you know? That's my thought was like, well. Yeah. Because you, you know, you... You cannot, oh, well, whatever. Like, this is in my notes so many times at my house. Oh, well, I'll just do it and it'll be fine. Like, how famous last words, it'll be fine. Mm. No. <laughs> how many people in their mind, that's the famous last words, it'll be fine. Mm. And it's not fine. Now, we, we talked about this, right? And this is just a prime example of our need for the Holy Spirit, his guidance, and the mercy of God when we do make mistakes. Because, see, everything Sue's saying, it makes a whole lot of sense. But I'm going to tell you what, it's a whole lot easier to say that in Newport News in an air-conditioned room when nobody's got a sword at your soldier's neck. Because mm -hmm. you got to realize what this man was looking at. Now, is is that an excuse? Yeah. No. But that's a reality he had to face as king. Right? His his man was dropping. He was dropping like fries. And especially if you're in a leadership position. Because people depend on you yeah. to make decisions. Yeah. You know, when you're in leadership, people expect you to know what to do right now. You know, they don't want to hear, okay, well, I'm going to wait and pray. No, this is a right now situation. What are you going to do? you got to have the answer right now. And so they don't want to hear, well, i got to pray and seek God. Or in Saul's case, well, you know what? I know Saul's late, but, you know, I mean, Samuel's late, but I'm going to wait on him. I'm going to wait on him. I'm just going to be obedient. They ain't trying to hear that. They people like, you the king, you the leader, what are we going to do? Heck, look what they did to Moses, right? Yeah. <laughs> they tried to be obedient. It was like, you probably some moment ago. Yeah, that was good. Yeah. That's that's a good example. Yeah, yeah. With Moses. 
right? I'm hungry. I'm hot. I'm sweaty. And just imagine, right? How well, what what the the pressure of being in that position would be? Yeah. You got the whole nation crying out to you, mm-hmm. whining and complaining. You know, you get kids, you get you get mad. Your kids get on your nerves, worrying you asking for stuff <laughs> when you ain't got but two or three of them. <laughs> just imagine a whole nation whining, fussing, scared, sending you email letters and all this type of stuff, yeah. tweeting at you. All this type of stuff. I mean, just yeah, because that, and, and that just goes back to the point that we were making last time yeah. about how the, all those in positions of authority, they need a prayer. They need prayer. Because even in these situations, remember, I think last thing we were saying, remember, I brought up David at Ziglag, where, you know, hey, he made a decision to. Leave, you know, his wife and all his men, children at the camp, and they went out fighting. Come back, the enemy then took all of them. Okay, took all the kids, wives gone, and the Bible said that his men wanted to kill him. They wanted to stone David because what? David, this was your decision. Mm-hmm. Why weren't you smart enough to leave somebody here protecting? You know, hey, hey, hey it's your fault. Yeah. Everybody pointing their finger at David. Yeah. But what the Bible said, David had, okay, he encouraged himself in the Lord. He had nobody but Jesus. That's it. Well, actually, he said, This is what I love because I'm like, Yes, Lord, I can inquire of you. Like, that's where I'm trying to focus on when you have a specific question to ask the Lord. The Bible says, David inquired of the Lord. And the Lord said, you know, told him, go, recover all. And you know what I loved was it says, without fail. That was my favorite part. Without fail, you will recover all. That's good. Mm-hmm. But see, if he didn't have a revelation of the character of God, mm-hmm. Imagine being in that situation where you th- where, you, where your man is trying to is about to stone you. Stone you, yeah. It's like, yep. Right. Yeah, take a lot to have a strong heart to go. Mm-hmm. Um, he's going to give into what they're saying. You have to be afraid. I'm going to take care of this, mm-hmm. and he did. And he encouraged himself he encouraged in himself. the Lord. And David didn't say in that position. He didn't say, "Well, it ain't my fault." Yep. You know, yep. this David took responsibility. You know, yep. it doesn't, it it doesn't articulate it, but. Life. Based on David took responsibility. David's like, okay, I messed up. I should have been. I should have been. I should have been better. You know. I should. You know. So, but yeah. See that the enemy in in the natural. um, I mean, in the supernatural right now in the cover that we're in, always talking to me is like, it's not bad. Don't talk bad. You you know, it's not going to change. And you're going like, I don't care what it is. I don't care what it's see. I don't care what it tastes. I don't care. I'm going to keep my eyes here. And everything just seems to be falling apart. And it's like, I will keep my eyes on you because you will solve this. And he's constantly telling you, I will take care of this. I will take care of this. And it's in the middle of the battle right there, too. When you have these, all these things coming at us. Your children coming at us. You're like, God, I love these children. But what do I do? It's like, and he can look, we think, we talked about this silly stuff, they have the character, mm-hmm. that 
that he's taking care of something over in another country where there's persecution so horrible and he's taking such care, reaching out to them and listening to their prayers and trying to figure out what to do. You know what I'm saying? And over here we have a clogged toilet. We're going, like, God, we've tried everything. We have to call this plumber. It's going to cost us hundreds, hundreds of dollars because you listen and he tells you these little things like, that's not as important. If you, he doesn't, he wants to solve the little problems and he wants to take care of the big ones at the same time. Mm-hmm. And it meant everything, just trusting him for the little thing. As you trust him for the little, we begin to trust him for the bigger. That's how David encouraged himself on the Lord, remember? He's out there taking care of the sheep. Mm-hmm. God did it fail, he did this, he did this, killed stuff with a, 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 a bone, you know, a skull and stuff. That's cool. He had to have something to encourage himself with. Right. And I told her something, well, we've had these issues. I go, think of all the good things he has done, not the bad things you think he's did to you, or the enemies just keep thinking, you did this for me. If you did this, you will do this for me. That's what you do. You know, that's mm-hmm. encourages him in the middle of the battle. Right. Right. And they did they, again it goes back to that revelation of the character of God. It's like I thought I can trust you. Because when you haven't failed me before. When those negative things happen, mm-hmm. you know, the the enemy and your flesh are gonna tag team to talk to you, to get you discouraged. Right? Yes. So if you if you don't have a strong revelation of God's love, his care for you. Then that's an open door for the enemy to 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 just to allow the trouble to shut you down and steal your faith. But I also think one of the the enemies to obedience is is convenience because when I look at it, it was convenient to him because you know apparently he knew how to do it, and I think sometimes we think well okay I know this is wrong but. I'm going to do this now. Because sometimes, I think I read somewhere in Ecclesiastes, sometimes we do stuff. Because if there's no immediate consequences, then we think, well, I can get away with it. Mm-hmm. And so therefore, I won't take responsibility because I can get away with it, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, let me go ahead and do it because, you know, I, I know it's wrong, but... Right now, I need this, or I gotta do this, or I feel like I gotta do this, so it ain't gonna be too bad. Okay. Now I'm gonna go to our outline. All right, there's a there's a statement here on the. It says there is no such thing as situational ethics. There is right and wrong. Ouch. <laughs> now. Now I want now I now I want to I want to kind of dig into this one. Yeah, yeah. All right. Now when you hear the word situational ethics, what what comes to mind? I don't know, I think what I just said convenience. Yeah. All right, convenience. Things that um like depending on the situation, well it's right in this situation, but in this situation it's not right. So it's not like so Black or white, it's kind of like a gray mm-hmm. area. Mm-hmm. It's like, it, does this dress make me look fat? <laughs> and then you lie and say, no, Andrew said, don't ask me that. Because yeah, I'll real. tell you, yes. You're going to tell me about me But like, fat is a relative term. So maybe in my opinion, no. Because, you know, they're like, you know, if you take like 
other topics like abortion or something you might think, okay, well, yeah. that, you know, is it wrong to kill a baby um, in this situation because this happened, you know? You can take one's kind of wrong and kind of change it around. That was a good example. Yeah, that was real yeah. good because you're looking at a situation like, okay, a, a, a young lady is raped and is impregnated. That's that's hideous, a hideous wrong, a sin that has happened. Yeah. Now, some will say that justifies the abortion, but then you're violating scripture again, where you you know you're you're two wrongs don't make a right. You can't overcome evil with evil, yeah. right? So it's just it's just come so the so the sin is just being compounded. It looks like in that moment too, I'm sure, like, mm. oh, this is right. But then like years later, it's like, oh my Jesus, you know, I'm sure. Yeah, it's, it's such a hard thing. Right. And I mean it's extremely hard. Yeah. yeah. Well, because in when the fear, it, it's one of those situations where it's so bad in that moment, you can't, you know, maybe God could give you maybe that would be a way God could give you a vision of like ten years from now. Because it's like when you're in that battle with the war and they're shooting arrows at you, you know, ah, you can't. There's the, it's so bad you you can't really look ahead, so you just react and do all this crazy stuff. Well, the same thing in that situation. It's just so bad and so much pressure in that moment. How could you even visualize? Something down the road, you know what I mean? Like mm -hmm. God would maybe have to like give you a dream of like what your life would be like 10 years from now so that you could be able to have hope that it's, you know, that I just came up with that. That's it's not good. a bad idea yeah. because it's so bad in that moment. How could you possibly think of anything but I can't deal with this, you know, because mm -hmm. it's terrible. Right. How do, there's no way they can feel good about it. That's true. Like God, that's what it's true. The relationship with God and the Holy Spirit each day, each moment, He knows exactly what each one of us need to be encouraged with to, to do. I mean, to do it. Of course, we want to do it right anyway, but to help us go, like He leads us in this. This is the way it goes. It's going to be okay. I promise. I got your hand. You know, He'll lead you through. Yeah, because I mean, there's just no way that that situation. You got nine months to go. Of course. Yeah. How in the world? You can't. And that's just the beginning. Right. Well, I mean, they can give it up for no. I mean, the child, they could give the child up for adoption by right. saying you have nine months to go, and right, and it wouldn't it be a lot easier to just get rid of all of it right now, right? That's just would be so hard. Yeah, yeah. Now, what's the difference between situational ethics and? understanding the nuances of life. Could you explain that? Okay. Yeah, do, you, do you know what I mean when I say nuance? No, go ahead. Okay. When I, <laughs> when I say nuance, I'm talking about um, the the concept that there's more to situations that meet than meet the eye. Okay. Okay. All right. Now, you know what? 
since she butted in, I'm I'm, I'm gonna see if I can get her to, to talk to us. Hey Siri, <laughs> what does nuance mean? As a noun, nuance means a subtle difference in or shade of meaning, expression, or sound. Do you want to hear the remaining one? Yes. As a verb, it means give nuances to. Okay, a subtle difference in or shade in in or shade of meaning or expression or sound. All right, subtle difference. Now, I say that because you can become real legalistic in your understanding of the word and what's right and what's wrong. Okay, so. You can call people out for situational ethics because they, let's say, I I go out to eat, eat with eat dinner with Eric. Okay, he doesn't like alcohol. He doesn't do it at all. So we go out. We have burgers. We haven't died, Dr. Pepper. Okay. Now. I got another brother, all right? He's a minister at such and such church, ABC church. He enjoys glass of red wine. So I go out to dinner with him. Both of us have a glass of red wine. We have our burgers. We have a good time of fellowship. Now, am I operating in situational ethics in that moment? No, because no. I'll be drinking the wine whether people like it or not. So, and let and maybe I won't go out to dinner if they're going to be unhappy. So that's it's like if if they have a problem with me, then I can be like, okay, I'm fine. You know, I don't need to have my wine. So it's really not. It's really not cut and dry. It's it's like I have a choice. Because if I, I mean, really, if I can't go without a glass of wine with this other person, then maybe there's nothing wrong with me. But you know, but um, as long as I have, I have a choice. I I'm making a choice, and it's like okay, I don't need to drink that when I'm with that person. Why do I care? You know. Okay. The outline said there was no such places, there was no such thing as situational ethics. Yeah. So I say no then. That's not a case of that. That's more like a, you know, when I'm hanging with the Jews, I do with the Jews. Uh, hanging with somebody who's in law and then I act more lawful. With the Greek, then you act like the Greek, you know. Because either way, you're not sinning. It's okay to drink Dr. Pepper. It's okay to drink that. Man, shove it. There you go. <laughs> Did he hear what I said? I love it. Tell him I can you hear me. I love that comment. Yeah. I love his explanation. I really appreciate it. Yeah. Because then adding my, the man of shove it. He brought juice. It's good. Yeah. Okay. Now, I'll, I'll put that out there. Right. Because 
you know, you hear that word situational ethics and we talk about, you know, being being open to the the variance, the differences between us as, as believers coming from different cultures and different types of things that the culture says, whether that's church culture or our natural like human culture says is right or wrong versus what the scripture says is right or wrong. And then there, there's a lot of a lot of times we intertwine that stuff <laughs> just because something is church culture doesn't mean that is God's law or God's command. Right. Just like. If I saw Julie wearing a, wearing a dress that didn't go down to her ankles. You know, yeah. some some places, I, you know, hey, you 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 a jazzy. You better you need to go back home and change. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, okay. sure. Clothing is a big, big thing. It's like you'll have some believers or some families even that go to the same church, and it will be—I mean, the dress codes will be like right. here to like here, and like right in betweens, and right. And, and see, yeah. and what do you do in that situation? Yeah. Like, say you got a girlfriend, you got a friend, a buddy that goes to one of these fellowships, and you got another one that goes to another fellowship as part of another, you know, Bible group that. Is more, you know, more liberal, just like with dress. Yeah. Do you cut off fellowship with one? No. Or do you adapt to the environment? Yeah. It, I think that, you know, too, like we talked about, it comes back, you know, it comes down to seeking God about me and all the relationship, talk with Him and stuff, because I thought about that. I think myself recently, too, is when I thought, like, you know, where Paul had talked about, we said, you know, He, Blend, not blend, I mean, you know, he didn't want to offend anybody. Like, yeah, Kevin brought that up. Yeah. Um, you know, I thought about sometimes myself, it's like, I don't want to just like offend somebody because I have a certain belief, you know, if I'm around them. But then I don't want to like change myself either, you know, on my mm-hmm. stairs. I think probably each situation is like, God, oh, what do you think I should do in this situation? Such, you know, situational, right? Right. Well, <laughs> this that... is a really cool thing because I really, I, I saw this relationship going downhill. It was a reality show called Preacher's Daughters. Oh my God, I loved it. So, and I really, and so the um, the assistant pastor was like the youth pastor. Mm-hmm. And he, it was a new job and he wanted, I mean, he, his daughter, and she was like 16 I mean, he seemed to care more about his job and all that than the hurting his daughter. So anyway, the story about the dressing, which, um, so when they were out and the girls had bathing suits on and they were in, you know, in, in like a whatever with water and the girls had to wear a shirt. Well, I mean, I can understand she was rebellious because she was hurt. She was always wanting to rebel. And, um, and then, it, and so really though, the dress code is always about the women, right? So then she's like, well, how can we have to wear a t-shirt? How? And so I think what they did was make the boys wear a shirt too. But then I thought um, women can be attracted to men's shoulders, you know, look at those. So in reality, they should, the men should wear them too. Because women can be just as attracted to a men's upper body physique as men so i'm like well there you go then that does make sense because that's true i'm gonna ask the women here 
Well, Are men not attracted to men's? Well, by nature, physique? men we are we we are stimulated by what we see. Well, so are women. But women by nature. No, are, you um, don't. You're not a woman. You don't. You cannot speak for a woman. I'm asking okay. other women. <laughs> I'm asking <laughs> other women, and I'm a woman. So if I'm attracted to a man's um, pecs or whatever and his shoulders, there you go. Well, then you need to put a shirt on. See, goes both ways. I guess, you know, it's like having good leadership that seeks God, you know, and ask him what the standard should be. Because it's true, we have a lot of, like, you know, sometimes in the church body, a lot of made up, like, you know, based on what we think God mm -hmm. thinks, but then we also probably have some good founded standards, too. So each situation is true. We said pray for our leadership, right? Yeah. There you go. But she she already, she came to the, uh, the youth thing after her volleyball where the shorts were really short. Mm -hmm. and, and I can understand her point. Those shorts are too short, but they're my volleyball shorts. So this is cool. Situational ethics. Is it okay for her to wear her volleyball shorts on the volleyball court mm -hmm. in high school? But when she comes to church, she got to put long shorts on. That's not, I'm not, I don't have the answer. I'm answer. saying, yeah. isn't that an interesting question? Right. I'm not saying I'm going to give the answer. Right. But, oh, yeah, you can wear that. Oh, no. Right. But see, yeah, and see, this is why, you know, I, this is why I kind of, I wanted to sit on this point. Because, you know, stuff that, it looks kind of small. On the surface, it really is small. But if you think about the, the amount of strife. And finger finger pointing yeah, right. that little stupid stuff like this has has had in, in between local fellowships, between mm -hmm. brothers and sisters in the Lord, over little silly stuff. So mm -hmm. if the woman is showing her shoulders, and you know, so what? If she goes, if she go to Bible study, she got her shoulders out. Do I need to throw a towel on her because she's doing that? <laughs> I mean, you know, because if, 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 I mean, but again, if you have a, if you are in fellowship with the Holy Spirit as an individual believer, he'll prompt you, right? But we got to trust in God's ability to, to minister to people yeah. about, because just like, just like Sue said, you know, this one, it, it could be a dude come in there with a muscle shirt with Larry the Cable Guy's shirt, <laughs> but he got he got shoulders and cuts all on his arm, and he, these these young ladies they they looking for a man, and this brother's looking pretty good, and it's a distraction, right? But do I need to have a a, a sign in front of the church that says? No muscle shirts, no sh no shoulderless dresses. <laughs> no sandals. Depending upon the Holy Spirit, I know we've all heard the story. We've heard it through Andrew Womack. I know Mom and I heard it through a couple of sources, but it was like I don't think it was like a, a church church. It was like a sort of like a Bible study, like that's like a prayer group. And long story short, we probably all heard it, but um, they had. You know, Christian people, of course, you know, devout Christians doing this stuff. And these, um, these couples, nudist couples came in and they came to Jesus and stuff. And for one, I mean, if they had signs like that, then well, 
these poor folks, I guess they would have never came in, right? Come as you are, right? And they said, even, <laughs> you know, right? They did have clothes on. They did. They were very scantily. Yeah, to, to note that they did. They really covered the Very scantily clad. But however, I know they said it was a little bit of uncomfortable, you know, being uncomfortable amongst the men having to go with their husbands. And, but they kept their mouth shut and they prayed together. They they kept silent. They just kept praying. They let them just be themselves. And I mean, they they loved Jesus. This couple, they were just like really excited about God. Well, because they kept their mouth shut and they prayed. We know if anybody knows the story, the ladies came to the Christian ladies of the group and said, like, you know, we, we feel uncomfortable what we're wearing, but they were like poor. They didn't have enough money, you know, to get anything. And I think they made a joke, like, or Andrew, when he told her kind of elaborate, like, that woman ended up with like 14 yeah, new, like, dresses yeah, or something. Or, you know, because, but because they kept silent, they didn't hurt or like stab at somebody. And they were able to like change from the inside out. You know? Right, right. Right. That's how you do it. Right. Now, I'm, I'm about to go into another. Um, I'm, I'm gonna read this next point, and, and we're gonna talk about another um, thing that is is big as far as sacred cows are concerned. Uh -oh. Okay. All right. Now, point D on the outline says many folks think that since God knows the end from the beginning. He also controls everything that happens in between. Not true. But is that isn't that true? No, 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 no. It's not. No. Okay. So you mean to tell me then that David wasn't God's first choice? Mm -mm. But how can that be when he knows all and sees all? I've been waiting 40 years for that answer. Here I am. <laughs> I'm finally getting the answer. Here we go. Yeah. He allows people to make their choices. Yeah, we have free will. He loves us and he wants us to make a decision that he knows we're not always going to. Mm. He right. has a, a soft heart too. He knows it when it comes from prayer. It comes from prayer too. Because that's huge. People think, you know, and like I said, I, I grew up on that. And, but people think because something happened, that's what God wanted to happen. Mm. You know, he want. I mean, I've heard people say, "Well, you know, it was meant for me to go to jail, or it was meant for me to get in this accident. It's meant for me." And I'm saying, you know, it wasn't meant to. You know, it's because God knew what's gonna happen. Yeah, He may have known you won't happen to do it, but that's that's not what He wanted. But He's not going to come down and you know twist your arm or just in the being turn you the other way. You know, because you went, no, he will warn you, you know, maybe put people in your path or maybe somehow speak to you. But at the end of the day, it's still your choice to act on what you're going to do. And if you, you're going to experience the consequences of it. But I think that's one of the biggest things because we think that, hey, if something happened, that that was supposed to happen. Yeah. Yeah. Because we, we, we just forget. Genesis 1, 
when God said, let them have dominion. Yeah. And we, we still underestimate how the, the power of that dominion. And this is, this is why, you know, in Deuteronomy 30, the famous scripture that says, God says, I set before you blessing and cursing, yeah. life and death. Choose life. Mm -hmm. Choose life. But on yeah. our part, yeah. we have to actually make the choice yeah. for life. Right. I had a huge revelation about God cannot lie. And that's what it was last week. And oh, I wish I would have brought that paper because it was like so awesome. I wrote it down, but... um. The, something like the reason why the stuff happens and like what you were saying is because God cannot lie. Boom. What you said. When he said, I have given you dominion, if he jumps in your life, your life, your life, your life, do the da 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 and starts controlling everything, he would, that's a lie. He would, then he would be a liar because that was it. Because that's the answer to everything. Well, next week I'll have to bring my paper because it's so incredible. I want to get exactly what I wrote down and I can't remember it. But it had to do with God cannot lie. So if he gave you dominion, he gave us dominion. If he comes in and starts taking over control, use the word control, he's a liar. And he cannot lie. Boom. Yep, that's true. Ooh, I'm not even going to read with it. Ooh, what the 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 the, um, the religious skeptics yeah, said about that? I'm not even care. gonna read it. <laughs> that I was bad. Care. That was bad. But you 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 think about like hearing that, right? But it's hearing it's hearing, hearing what particular that that God is he cannot do something. Okay, that freaks oh, yeah. people out it because has. we've been so taught that. But he can't lie. No, he cannot. That's because that but the, because the integrity of his word is so strong that if he said it, it is. Yeah, yeah, and it did. Well, I guess it was talking about the whole entire creation universe would implode from the right. inside out. So from the outside in. if man, if God gave dominion to man, then that speaks to it speaks volumes to why stuff is so jacked up. Because man and the the serpent collaborated on this. That that's where all the the, the death con confusion construction came from. Now it's just God's mercy and His love that has brought that has given us a way of escape, yeah. given us a savior in the person of Jesus Christ. Now, I want to go back to 1 Samuel, right? Oh, all right, before I read this, I'm going to, David chimed in. He says, yes, he is, referring to the Lord. He limits his, own, his sovereignty. He would turn around and he would turn around things in a fallen world that calls evil for, for good. He is the head of the church. Remember, we are the who we were lost. He found us by sending Jesus. It is preaching that brings faith. Because So 
remember why when the apostles asked Jesus how to pray, right? <coughs> so Jesus says, when you pray, pray like this. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So we are in the place of bringing heaven to earth, God's will to earth, but God limiting himself by his own word in reference to this earth when he gave man dominion. Why do you think he had to embody a man to save man? Emmanuel, God with us. See, and this, if you if you sit down and digest this stuff, it'll set you free. In reference to all of the chaos and the stuff, you know, why did this happen? Why X, Y, Z happened? Because it is is it's not God that's that's against you. He the only reason you're taking your next breath. He the only reason we can get up in the morning and take our next breath. We can walk. We can see in here because we have an enemy that wants to see us what? Totally destroyed. Yeah. yeah. So when we talk about, you know, again, talking about prayer and preaching the gospel, loving people, all this type of stuff, it 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 we are the vessels, the instruments that the Lord uses to share his, his love. Yeah. Now, going back to verse 13 here, 1 Samuel 13, 13. All right, so again, this is Samuel confronting Saul after Saul does the burnt offering as an unauthorized individual. He says, how foolish Samuel exclaimed, you have not kept the command the Lord gave the Lord your God gave you. Had you kept it, the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. He said that to Saul. Mm -hmm. Verse 14. But now your kingdom must end. For the Lord has sought out a man after his own heart. The Lord has already appointed him to be leader of his people. Because you have not kept the Lord's command. Now, if, if it was just a part of Saul's God-ordained destiny to fall, then why is the second half of this verse 13 there? Because remember, this is the prophet speaking here, Samuel. So he's God's mouthpiece. God cannot lie. Yeah. 
Yeah, I think the way you said this has been a while back, because a lot of times we think when we read the Bible, we, we're reading it about stuff that's already done happened. And so when a lot of times when we read something, we're reading like, okay, well, this is what this is what was supposed to happen. Yeah. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. Now, it already happened. This is why we read, okay. Exactly. So we think, okay, well, this is Explain that, and all we basically is just the person writing down the story. Okay, now I don't mean that's how God wanted it to happen. They're just recording how things went. Yeah, doesn't mean that's what He wanted. But we just writing the story like, okay, hey, this is how it went. This is the thing. We see times where God intervened. Other times where things just went south. You know. So, but we just you just reading the story. But the past tense would happen in the past. Yeah. And so, but we like, oh, you know, God wanted this to happen. This and this and that, you know. You know, and we we look at the story of Jonah, okay? God wanted Jonah to go to Nineveh. Mm-hmm. Jonah decided, I ain't doing nothing. <laughs> yes. Very <laughs> <Right. laughs> right. right. And then when they repented, he, he had like a city right. outside the city. <laughs> Right. Yeah, you know, and now people look at their what well, I'm saying, they look at their story and say, well, you know, you know, we see in the village John repented. Yeah. Now, but we never think about what if John hadn't repented? Yeah. I mean, he would have died in the belly of that fish and okay, now God would have got somebody else to go to Nineveh. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But it was his his was his response that caused him. Now, if we have, now if we were reading that story and they said, okay, Jonah didn't repent and Jonah died in the middle of sin, what would we say then? Like, oh, well, God more won. Yeah. <laughs> now, that story could have went, okay, Jonah died and then God raised up another one. It could have went that way. Yeah. I love it that, you know, in the past probably 15 years or so of my life, Realizing little by little God's grace is, I remember Jesse Duplantis talking one time about how, you know, he's based out of Louisiana and stuff. He wanted to go to Texas and God had showed him, he's like, you really want him to stay in Louisiana. But he made it clear to him, he goes like, if you go to Texas, he goes, I'll bless you. I'll be with you. You know, I'll never leave you. I never do. He goes, but you won't fulfill the purpose I have for you. Mm -hmm. And I go, you know, we didn't hear that years ago, but one of us always you don't preach, God's going to kill you. You know, yeah. I've heard, how many right. of us have heard a preacher say that? Exactly. And I even personally in my life, I've had God show me things, promises he has for me, things he wants me to do, and it's just been things, you know, in life, and I go, God made it clear, I'm like, well, what if I chose to go this way, God? And God's like, he's shown me personally, I mean, expressly, like, I'll never leave you. I'll always be with you. But it's not going to be what you really, you know, think it's going to be. I've got better. I've got this for you. And Choosing to trust God in each situation, but it's true, we have a choice though. I mean, you know. Mm-hmm. Well, in some cases, you know, people think if you you don't go to route God, wants you to go, he'd throw roadblocks in your way. Just make you know, just yeah. make that's it chaotic. Jesse, right? And that's he didn't say that. Right. He told me to go with him. I remember him telling the story too. He goes, God told me, he goes, You go to Texas, you want to be a cowboy preacher, go ahead. I'm coming with you, I'm gonna bless you, but it won't be the the, the plan I really have for you 
and he stayed in Louisiana and lived with him. He did a lot of good things. Now, I've had personally, not to get off track, but I've had where I was in a scary situation. I mean, I was scared and stuff and like running from God, what I thought God was rather. And God did put roadblocks up looking back, and I'm so glad he did. But I still... You still had a choice? I still had a choice. Like, it was not that he stopped me. It just it made it very difficult like to go the certain ways. But I know if I really had wanted to, I could have pushed past it, and I could have done something mm-hmm. stupid. But I believe in the mindset I was in, the mercy of God was there. Like, he didn't control it, but he put enough of like a repellent in it or like, do not go this way, or something didn't work out. And then once I got mature enough, you know, or like not like scared to death, crazy situation, I still could have made a dumb decision. But when I, I think God knew I really didn't want to do stuff. She was like, right. let me just throw this out. But, you know, each situation is different. But so. it, yeah, and, and just thinking about all this, it just speaks to the importance of intercession. Right? Mm-hmm. Like if you know somebody, you know, you got a family member or whatever, you know, friend that's going in the wrong direction. You interceding for them can be an avenue by which the, the Lord can bring some things to redirect the person. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. But again, you we are co-laborers, right? So this is why the Lord's prayer is so you know, it's it's He said what He said for a reason. Pray like this, thy kingdom come, thy will, his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So when we are asking, we are being instruments to ask for the Lord's will to be done. That's, that, is, that is us exercising the dominion that we have with the fruit of our lips to see God's will come to pass. Co-laborers, and then other action steps that need to take place, things that people need to do or whatever, that 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 train can start to go into motion. Right. And again, you know, a religious mind can hear this stuff and it's like and, and get offended, but it, it's it it it's all but offensive if it's us honoring what he said. Is us truly honoring the integrity of what he said. His word will not return void, but it will accomplish that which he pleases. That's what he said. So if he gave man dominion, then we got a part to play in it, whether we realize it or not. Now you can listen to a preacher talk you out of your dominion if you want to. And then you just you had the mercy of the circumstance around you. Because I know I'm looking at verse 13 and I'm like, wow, that really it jumps off the page for me. Honestly, when we talk about this whole idea of, you know, sovereignty. Because Saul, I mean, I'm going to read it again. How foolish, Samuel exclaimed. 
you have not kept the command the Lord your God gave you. Had you kept it, the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. So there never should have been a David. Not as king. No. We might David, you know, the plan that David came in when he disobeyed. Yeah. And a lot of time, I remember a teacher one time said, and people looked at me like, you, no, you, you, what are you saying? Like, but this is what it says. Yeah. It's been so ingrained in us. Just, you know, what do you call it? The ministry of reading? I'm just reading. Yeah. <laughs> That's what it says. It's like I'm not making this up. Yeah, but you know, don't let the Bible get in the way of what they believe. That's what I was going to say. Yeah. Also, didn't um, didn't there scriptures supporting that David was going to be the king that were written prior because God, you know, in His foreknowledge, He already knew the fall that Saul was going to make. Isn't that correct? Mm -hmm. But again, the foreknowledge and fate, two different things. And I think this this is where we get kind of twisted. We get confused. It gets confused. I mean, it you know, it really concept. It really it goes beyond. Uh, natural minds, honestly. Yeah. Right. But if you look at what he said in Genesis 1, it can make sense. Because we are still looking at things. We're in the realm of time and space in the year 2023. Everything is linear, it's straight ahead. But you're talking about God who sees the entirety of everything all the time that ever will be, ever was, and everything is, right? He's beyond time and space. So, and, and really, if you really want to think about just the complexity, complexities of all this, if any of y'all are like superhero movie fans, isn't it interesting all these talk about the multiverses and stuff? It seems like the secular world kind of understands the, the power of choice. Look at some of these movies. Like how, how one or two choices can change the whole trajectory of a person's life and the life lives of those around them. Century and now he's watching the Avengers, the last one. And then I remember the one choice went out when he looked at the guy and got one left. You got one left. Before all the way he was saying, you got one more thing happens. So we can win. If not, that's gonna be it. But it was a it was a several different things could happen in order for them to win. But as those things got eliminated. Got down to one. Mm -hmm. yeah. And see, when we talk about the mercy of God, 
and how he can turn lemons into lemonade. Right? We can we can mess up multiple times. And if we continue to rest in his goodness, we can come out on the other, other side and it may seem like we had to go through XYZ in order to get to XYZ place. But who's to say if we made X, ABC choice, we couldn't have got here during, you know, a different way, right? But again, his mercy endures forever. It does. I had God show me something in the past couple of years, and I was really upset about something. And God came to me and talked to me. He was like, and he like, it's like God like grabbed me by the shoulders, kind of like a father type of thing. It's like, listen, I, it was almost like express. I never intended this for whatever went on in my life, but he let me know. He goes, but however, you did get, like he told me, it was not as well. He loved me, he wanted best for me. But he was reminding me of, however, he goes, he used it for whatever, used it, he did not cause it, granted, you know? Yes. And, um, you know, you do have the, but he, he made it very clear that he goes, but again, you know, like it was just like so expressed, like, I never intended this for you. And I got to asking God one day in a separate, you know, just a separate time, I was like, God, I go, why is it that we have that almost like, um, that sovereignty doctrine, as you call it, you know, in the church. And I go, like, it's amazing. You know, and I said, I used to believe that way myself. And I really believe God was showing me, it's like, um, you know, we, that God is so good. I was thinking this is what it was like. God is so good at making crap, basically, junk look good that you would almost think God did it to begin with, you know, because it was so beautiful, the situation that came out, because he's just good that way. Like, Julius was just saying, mercy, you know, never, you know, it never ends. It under forever. And I go, that's what it is, is God is really that good at taking something crazy, a divorce or something, and making something really beautiful come out of it or whatever, and whatever the situation is, and you think, wow, did God, it's so wonderful, the outro, like, did God, did you do that? It's like, well, you don't cause bad, but gosh, you surely use it for good, though, <laughs> you know? But I, I grew up with that, that sovereignty thing. Yeah. And I, you know, and it didn't affect me as far as it, it never made me, you know, want to quit on God when I didn't understand things. I just like, okay, well, you know, whatever. But then, but then I became to understand what sovereignty means and how it doesn't mean the way it was taught. Yeah. Um, as you just said, now I understand. Now I walk in my dominion, yeah. the authority that I know I've had. I just don't like, okay, well, this happened. But this is what God want to happen. No, I kind of, you know, read the word, understand where my authority is. Mm-hmm. And if I know, okay, well, if it's something that I know, okay, I, have, I don't have authority, or okay, I'm just surrender God, I believe God. But if I know I have authority, okay, now I speak it. I take authority over something that's in my life that's not supposed to be there, you know, or just not supposed to happen versus me just saying, okay, okay, Sarah, Sarah. Yeah. So it, it, like he said, it puts you in a different headspace where he says, okay, instead of me just surrendering to something that God never intended to happen, now I can know, okay, well, wait a minute, I have authority over this. So I can speak to this, I can command this, you know, and see results of what God intended for it, for it to be. Okay. Okay. 
I have a question now. No, it's too late to ask this. But if you are, if you are unsure, if whether you have the authority over something, or you just, I guess, need God to intervene, is it okay to pray both prayers? And you know, like you know, pray an authority prayer and speak against it, and you know, cast it down, and there's anything demonic behind it, rebuke it, and cast that away. And then also, you know, just pray another prayer for you know God's grace or mercy or His intervention. And you know, is that you know? Because I've done that. And not knowing which to pray, so I was like, you know, I figure I'm gonna cover both. What is that like, faith, or you know, I mean, was that pay or what? Or I'm not, yeah, I'm not gonna say that yeah. because you know, any anything that involves somebody else's decisions that's outside of my realm of authority, it's outside of yours. But things that are coming directly against you that violate God's promise for you, then it's different, right? And see, this is why I like tongues, because I ain't got to know all none of that stuff. Because I'm like, I Lord, I, you know I don't know. So I, I just ask you to, to, to declare and decree your will through these tongues. To pray the perfect, your your will be done, and and again, and it goes back to the Lord's prayer. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, because we we got all deep, you know, so deep in our teaching about prayer, we think we, that we we done catapulted the sophistication of the Lord's prayer. But the, the disciples directly asked him that, and that's what Jesus said himself. So some stuff going on that ain't his will, hey. Lord, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And you know, and, and the thing about it, we got the Holy Spirit. So, and that's what, and that's what all of us are challenged to do. And to continue to rest on him because. Especially in times of pressure. Cause it, you know, when, when stuff is like in your face and, and there's a there's pressure to make decisions, you you know, you we're bound to make harsh, rash decisions out of fear that will set us up for negative consequence. And depending on how much how much influence we have the negative consequence of others that we connected with. Here's a quick point that was fascinating. Right? If you're prophetic, and we all are capable of the Holy Spirit, he already, it, this was like not a fear thing, it was about this house that, I'll just tell you the one part because it's a really long, crazy, cool story. Um, 
my not yet ex-husband and I were like trying to like where this house, which house, land, blah blah blah. Mm-hmm. And I was over in this property one day, and I said, "God, we can't. I can't seem to get this thing solved. Like, well, I don't know what to do." He said, "The guy in this house was going to die." And you're going to get this property in that house, too. So this is not a fear thing, but it's a prophetic thing. And I'm like, well, I've lost, you know, what do we always say? Well, I've lost my mind. Of course. Well, I've lost my mind again. Said you. And I just, like, what do you do with that? That was the craziest thing I've ever made. So the guy died. Within like a year, because I'm I just went it went over my head. Mm-hmm. So prophetic, what does it have to do with the story today? That was a prophetic word from God. It came true. The answer to Saul was the prophetic, the prophet, and you didn't listen. So I'm adding the prophetic into what you're saying, mm-hmm. praying in tongues, but. That came out of nowhere. That guy's going to die. And it's a very long, fascinating story. I got that house. Wasn't what I wanted. It was, I mean, that. let's just not go into that story. Not a good house, but whatever. Um, I live on the same well, property. But like I said, the same thing long story. Had, remember? How did he get where he is? Some stuff. If he had not a health, I don't understand it. But it's you know complicated with right. stuff. He would not be where he is if he had to listen and yeah, prayed and understand. And what do I do? What do I do? Yeah, talking to God, talking to the Holy Spirit. Right. So you So you added praying the Spirit, awesome. And then I added prophecy, mm-hmm. and that's what Saul did not do. He, he did not stick forward. to the prophet. We don't hear the voice of God unless we're quiet. When we're stirred up, when we're scared, so you go to let the Holy Spirit pray. Because you're too busy going, oh, what do I do? But when you get quiet, you start hearing it. This is, we said, the, the, the still, the small, small voice. voice. That's when you're calm and you're trusting Him. The turmoil may be still raging out, but you're inside, you're going. Mm-hmm. But in I Saul's trust. case, he had the prophetic word. Yeah. End of story. And he didn't need to pray. He had the word. Boom. He, he, he could have rested on that. See what I mean? He mm-hmm. didn't. What did he need? What was there to pray about? Yeah. Nothing. Well, in his, I don't mean it, nothing, but you know what I mean. Yeah, because in his weakness, the perfect prayer for him was it would have been like, Lord, help. Yeah. I, I don't I show me, mean nothing. Yeah, right. show me, show me what to, yeah. <laughs> show me what to do here. Just humble to God. I Yes, the right. conflict is going yeah. on and it's horrible. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, uh. It's still going, I don't care what I say. What do you want me to do? Mm-hmm. And just a few moments later, Samuel was right there. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. All right, social media family. We went over a little, little tonight, but it's all right. Good stuff. All right. Yes, good. Thank you for joining us, and we'll see you next week. Bye. Bye. Bye.